Welcome to my podcast, You Are Here For Now, a series of conversations inspired by my new book of the same name. I'm your host, artist and author Adam J. Kurtz. Each week on this show, I'll chat with some of the smartest, kindest, most generous, beautiful, amazing, talented people I know, and ask them about all of that being alive stuff that we don't always get to talk about, like passion, purpose, mortality, true love, defining success, mental illness, and figuring out what's next when you don't really know what you're doing. These conversations have already helped me so much, and I can't wait to share them with you. In this episode, I'm chatting with musician Michelle Branch about the creative process, personal transformation, family life, and finding your own version of success. Michelle Branch is a Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter whose albums, including The Spirit Room, have sold millions of copies worldwide. She inspired an entire generation to pick up guitars, from Taylor Swift to Elena Moore to, much less successfully, me. Uh, Michelle, welcome to the podcast, and I have to ask you this question because I'm so curious about the answer. How do you describe what you do to someone you do not want to talk to about it? That's a very specific scenario that years ago I would often find myself in. Like, please don't sit me next to a talker. Um, But I'm a really shitty liar. So I mostly just say, oh, I'm a musician. And then that is usually too intriguing for them to not ask further questions. So they're like, oh, yeah, what do you play? And I say, oh, play guitar. Oh, cool. Anything I might have heard of? And most of the time, I'm just like, oh, I was in a country band. (laughs) That's what I tell people. And they usually lose interest right away and don't ask any further questions. (laughs) That's actually genius. (laughs) Although the records are so good. Are, were, so award-winning. Yeah, I'm no... No, no disrespect to the records. I just use that as a oh, totally. that yeah. it doesn't prompt like more questions. And especially when they're like, oh, where are you from? I'm like, oh, from Nashville. Um, but back in the day when like spirit room days when we were touring and on a bus, we'd pull into, you know, truck stops or whatever. And people would always ask, oh, who's on the bus? And we said, O-Town <laughs> forever. We'd just be like, oh, it's O-Town. I don't know why that was so funny to us. O-Town was really big in that time. That was that's a great answer. God. <laughs> um, okay. Let's let's talk about, you know, one of the one of the big themes of this book is about transformational change and like the things that we do for ourselves to to shift us to where we're going. And I just wonder if there's a single moment in your life that you think really triggered like a, a huge change in the beginning of a change. Yeah, I I mean motherhood is that for me. Um Looking back, I was really young when I had my daughter, Owen. She just turned 16, which just is so weird to me, especially given that I was 16 when The Spirit Room was written. But I think it was, looking back, like my way of kind of finding and gaining some sort of control in my life when everything was like spinning out of control and I was so busy and kind of at the whim of, you know, other people's scheduling and whatnot. Um I, I look back on that time and I realized like I was just searching for something to make me feel like I had a sense of control over my life and my own little kind of safe place to go to, which was my own family. Um, so motherhood has definitely been that for me. <laughs> I'm sorry because motherhood, that's just a very specific answer to me. But I mean, that's that has, I always kind of come back to this place of like, 
whenever I'm feeling really out of balance, when I just focus on my kids, then it brings me kind of the biggest sense of purpose and the rest of the chaos in my life seems to like not seem as important. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's, that's such a, I don't want to say obvious, but it makes so much sense. And I don't know. You, I mean, I think just from following you on social media, like you are so family and home oriented and that's such a huge part of, of who you are. Um, I want to ask what it feels like to, you know, you had your daughter Owen years ago and then you have a son now um, with Patrick and, What's it like sort of, I don't know, did you, did you know back then that you were going to have a larger family that you wanted to have siblings for Owen? Like, did you think about all that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. It's honestly, it's one of the main reasons why my ex-husband and I split up. Um, Teddy, Teddy and I were together almost 11 years and he was kind of done having kids and I really wanted more kids. And that was kind of one of the like reoccurring arguments that we would have um and he was 20 years my senior and he's like I'm done having kids like I'm ready to move on with this chapter and I was like I'm not and so um he's like go have kids with someone else then and that was kind of like not in a nasty way it was just a conversation we would always have so um when we broke up I was I think I was 29 when we broke up and I like had this weird timeline in my head that like okay if I'm gonna be single for a few years and then meet somebody and then have a few years with that someone and then have kids like I gotta start doing this I can't waste any time um so that was that was a big reason why I decided to get divorced and thankfully Teddy and I are friends and he totally understood that's what you get when you marry someone 19 years younger than you Teddy <laughs> I mean, I, in some ways that's very beautiful to have someone who gets you and is like, okay, you know, like I can't, I can't stand in the way of this for you and I wouldn't want to, you know? Yeah. No, I'm grateful for that. Okay. Softball question. I feel like we just got, it got more intense. Here's, here's like a very easy, simple question. You know, one word answer. (laughs) Uh, What makes you happy? No, I'm, I'm kidding. That's not easy at all. That's like, the hardest question of my life. <laughs> I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out. I feel out. like I keep asking people this question and I'm hoping that they'll be like, oh yeah, all I do is this. And I'll be like, great. I will incorporate that into my life. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I hate to just sound so, I'm like my kids again. I'm, I'm hormonal <laughs> right now. Okay. Adam, I'm pregnant. I'm thinking about my children. So no, my kids make me happy. Um, Food makes me happy. Friends make me happy. Travel makes me happy. I'm, it's been very long quarantine, yeah. not being able to really like go anywhere. I'm really missing traveling. God, what's what's the best place you've traveled to, or a place that you could go back to over and over again? I I'm very I'm an ancestry nerd. I've gotten really into my ancestry, and I just. I really want to go spend more time in the Netherlands where my mom was born. She was born in The Hague and I've never been. I've only been through Amsterdam on on a promo tour for like less than 24 hours. Um, so I really want to spend more time there. I was fortunate enough to go to Jakarta, um, Indonesia, where my grandmother 
was from, and that was a trip, but I have not been back since like 2002 or something. So I just, I have all these like trips that I want to take to just kind of like retrace my ancestral roots. I love that. It's so, it's so special to know that there's like always more places to travel, you know? And I know that this is like a very, this is like one of these classic like therapist things of like, oh, there's always more to travel. Like life is worth living because you could always learn more. And it's like, <laughs> shut the f*** up. But also, yeah, you're, that's right. Yeah. Like, no, it's true. It's true. I just, I like, I like history. I like history and I like it. I just, I'm forever baffled by what it took for us to be here. Like what, what relatives had to survive and go through what they went through in order for us to be sitting on a podcast today. Um, that just really is amazing that we're here. And, and I think like looking back through history through the eyes of like someone who you're related to makes it seem, makes it more real. I mean, growing up, we, we always talked about that because I think when you're Jewish, it's like the story's right there and it's so big and then like, it's yeah. so awful in so many ways that like it's undeniable and something very Jewish about me is that you really can't talk to me for more than a few minutes without <laughs> me like bringing up the Holocaust. No, that's Mitchell. I think at a certain point, <laughs> Mitchell's like, how did we get here again? But you know, I'm like, I'm a descendant <laughs> from like the only person in the family who left, who left uh, Holland and everyone else is gone. And like yeah. growing up, it was like, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. And it's like, okay, but like, can I, can I get a new beanie baby or not? You know, like I didn't ask. Uh, (laughs) You know, what's been interesting, what's been interesting is um, we found out my daughter Owen through like an ancestry DNA thing is like 28% Jewish. And I had no idea. And it's been really fascinating because her, she's not Jewish because I'm not Jewish, but I'd like to think I'm an honorary. Because I just, everyone I love is Jewish. But um, we didn't know that. Like, I was always told by her father and his maternal side that they were Italian. And so we get her ancestry back, and there's 1% Italian. And I was like, ooh, Owen, you need to call your Nana. Like, <laughs> there's some something going on here. She's not Italian. And her dad's. Her grandfather's name was um, Ernani Bernardi, and he was from Modena, Italy. So, like, her whole identity was that they're Italian. And then we start to, like, realize that they were actually really Polish and went to Italy to kind of escape. And suddenly we're Italian. And it was just so fascinating to find out. And um, and I was just like, Owen, like, you need to deep dive into all of the stuff and you know she's 16 so she's like yeah whatever mom no this is amazing you're jewish and I didn't know. oh my god she's you know jewish people always need to know like triangulate who who else is jewish and so i feel like someone was going to tell owen at some point someone was going to like sniff it out but there's a lot of overlap with jews and italians so would you think would you consider her jewish even though her maternal line isn't I mean it came from her grandmother so it kind of is a maternal line I don't know <laughs> Judaism's one of those things right it's like it's a religion it's an ethnicity like there's there's so many layers to it there's cultural Judaism like I I've had a whole whole journey with that from being like an orthodox Jewish kid to to sort of coming out and separating out and, and moving away from all of that 
And yeah, I, who cares what I would consider you know, Jewish? <laughs> I all, so I almost, not almost converted. I was thinking about converting when I was first had moved to LA and was finishing the spirit room. Every favorite person in my life was Jewish. And I was so completely fascinated by the history and I was like, I'm going to convert. I think it's so beautiful. And everyone would invite me to like their seders and like Shabbat. <laughs> They'd be like, Michelle, we know you love this. So come to this. And I'd be like, yes, stoked. And then I met Teddy and he wasn't Jewish. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, and then it turns out that he kind of was. So. But then he was. Yeah. So, who knows? Oh my gosh. So there you go. Some fun trivia that I don't think anyone knows about me. I I can feel I can feel listeners of this podcast being like, okay, Adam. So like, you're a big fan and having a very specific conversation, but can can you ask her about the spirit room, please? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I do have a question about the spirit room, and and I will say too that like I don't I don't want to ask you questions about something from 20 years ago. You know what I mean? Like you you've done so much since. But one thing that I always think about because I listen to the spirit room so much is that the spirit rooms turned 20 years old this year. And at the time, like a lot of the songs about love were, were hypothetical. And I think I always think that's kind of what made them resonate because the perspective was also like the perspective hit me as a young person who was like, I want to grow up and like find my love out there and they're going to look into my wild mind and, and be okay <laughs> with everything in here. And so I just wonder like, how it feels to listen to those songs now and like what did you get right about love and then what did you get like so wrong like what That's was a beautiful a really idea question. that was just um, fully inaccurate so in recording this in re-recording the spirit room some of these songs i hadn't listened to in like a decade or more um and as i said earlier my daughter just turned 16 so i was like where was i like where did this come from i was like writing about romance and i mean i was just such a daydreaming hopelessly romantic child and i still am um and not not necessarily prone to like life is a fairy tale but kind of <laughs> like it can be um and i think as much as people say like that's an unrealistic way of viewing romance I still kind of would say like that you have to kind of fight for that kind of have to fight for the fairy tale you know it's not going to be exactly a fairy tale all the time but that it's worth chasing your version of a fairy tale that it can happen and maybe that makes me really sappy but um I, I don't know I think it's possible and I I think that's what I was always writing about and daydreaming about as a kid I think you're right. Like love, something that I always say is just like love is real. And there's something so corny about being that earnest where we're like, okay, yes, a fridge magnet. And like now I literally make fridge magnets. Like I'm that person, but, <laughs> but love, I mean, it is real. And like the fairy tale is maybe different than what you thought it would be, but it's there. And I think it does take just a certain kind of thinking and, and dreaming for it to make it feel that way all the time. And like, 
Yeah. We all understand that on a wedding day, right? Everyone like leans into the fantasy, but what about every other day of the rest of your life? Yeah. I don't know. I think love is That's the true battle. Love is crazy. It's it's insane that like ten years ago my husband was a stranger to me and today it's like if there was a bullet coming in slow motion, I would just very calmly <laughs> walk in front of that bullet. To save it. You know what I mean? Like I did not. You're know living you in 10 Hawaii. Yeah. You're yeah. You're living in Hawaii right I now. I live like, literally. What the hell? I mean, on, like, thank God he's not from somewhere else because it would have been much harder to get me <laughs> to leave New York for for some other place. But yeah, we just like we bought a house in Hawaii. Like we're setting roots here. I'm like, okay, let's do it. Let's go buy like a KitchenAid <laughs> mixer, and we're locked in now. Okay, so a lot of us think about success in these really linear terms, like you made it and then you're in, like, congrats, like, whatever, happily ever after. And, you know, I think as a fan, I like know a little bit too much about the trajectory, but essentially you hit all these huge benchmarks, like platinum selling album, like, like literally millions of copies of your art sold and enjoyed by people you want a Grammy performed at the Super Bowl, all of these huge benchmarks. Um, and then you still have to keep living for, for 20 years. Like, like life didn't end. Like you're still a person growing. And <laughs> is there something that you learned about success, you know, and, and that kind of success at a young age that might help someone else who's still waiting for the green light, like, Someone who's like ready to go and, and hasn't yeah, yet I, had that opportunity. I'm glad you asked this um, question because it's been, I mean, it's been a, a trip to digest over the years. And I, it's taken me a while to, to not feel like I had to keep that success going or chase it or that, like I was, for instance, like after the, after those first two albums came out, Actually, I will say after the the records came out, because the records was successful in its own right, too. Um, then I kind of hit a bumpy patch where I wasn't getting records released. And I would go to I was living in L.A. at the time. I would go to events, music events, and people would say, oh, you're still making music. And I would just get completely it would just be like a dagger to the heart. Like, yes, I work on music every single day. And or comments from people about like, I, I don't hear about you anymore. Where are you? And that would like put me in a spin because I was like, no, I'm here. I'm still here. And it was such a huge part of my identity. And I think being successful at the age I was that it was very strange to move on and not feel like I had to, I, I definitely felt a pressure to like keep that keep up appearances or like try to strive for that or more. And that's just like such a, that is putting yourself in such a losing position. And I started to really realize like most of the things I would say yes to, I only said yes to because I felt like I had to. And then I was miserable when I show up for it or dread it and be like, Oh my God, I can't believe I agreed to do this or play this show. And I'd rather be home with my family or I'd rather be doing this or that and realizing like, wait, I'm the only person who's making myself this crazy about this. Um, and my husband and I talk all the time about our version of success 
now and or what that means to us. Um, and we always talk about like how baffled we are when we look at like the Rolling Stones still going on tour after Charlie died. Like, why are they going on tour? Like, what do they need? Like, they have like chateaus and millions of dollars. So why do they still keep going on tour? Like, can't they just go like live their life? And to me, that's, that's something that I knew that I, I figured out that I don't want, that I don't want to be like part of the rat race forever. I always want to be making music. I'm always going to be playing it in some fashion, but I don't want to be striving for like, you know, Michelle Branch, you know, is 70 and still <laughs> out on tour. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I want to be like hanging out with my friends and my, you know, drinking wine and not worrying about that anymore at 70. I don't know. If that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, of, of course um, it does. I think, you know, defining success is, is the first step and even like trying to achieve it at all. And it, it almost seems like you were thrust into this huge success before you had time to like figure out what you wanted. And so to identify that like, yeah. Hey, I, I did a lot and I still make music, but like I, I want to lie down and like, you know, drink is that's great. I think because <laughs> I, Mitchell says this, my husband says this to me all the time where he's like, you know, there's never going to be enough money. There's never going to be enough attention. Like if that's all you want, you could just Ever. keep going. But what's the point? And, yeah. you know, in my own way, I've been navigating the same stuff where I'm like, why am I working so hard all the time? Like constantly trying to push my art in all these different directions or um, match the success of my first book, which I don't think I ever will. And it's like, yeah, maybe I don't need that. Maybe I can just live. Maybe I can... One thing that I've always liked about you, and I think that a lot of people were drawn to, you know, in in your teens and our teens is like, you, you've always been like such a reluctant celebrity where you're like, okay, sure, like, I have to go to TRL, I will lace up my my converse, and I will be there at whatever time. And there's something that was always so relatable about that where you were like, I, I was actually just gonna like make this album and play my my guitar and like and sorry i have to do what now with beyonce i, I guess like when you hit your rebellious teen years as of you know and you're famous it could be a little rough but i really think a lot of people are having this like aha moment during the last year and a half of like wait what was i doing before the pandemic like i was going to the to the office i was traveling i was not seeing my family i was you know whatever it is the big like aha moment for me was that my work wasn't my life because for a long time in those first few years, that's all that I thought my life was, was my work. And so, you know, finding a space for, for living is really, it sounds cheesy, but it's really where I started to find the most happiness. Yeah. I mean, it's so frustrating to talk about this pandemic because you're like, we get it, we get it, we get it, we're living it. But it's like, it's two years of this. And there are some people who probably hadn't stopped moving in a decade. Yeah. And then this forced them, really forced them to look inside and be like, I'm not the same person I was when I started this hustle. And I'm just spinning the wheels because I don't know what else to do. Yeah. And I, I've heard from so many people, like so many relationships ended. So like our, we have a good friend whose wedding was called off the wedding. They broke oh, up. no. People are getting divorced. People are, are yeah. moving out. People are fully changing their career. People are coming out 
people are inspecting their gender identity. Like people are doing the work that they yeah. just hadn't been doing because they were they didn't have you can time. you can party forever. Like you can you can be out and, and just not know. Yeah. I feel like I feel like this book, You Are Here for Now, was going to be a totally different book. And then the pandemic hit in the middle of working on it and I realized I wasn't okay and we moved and I was just like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And, you know, my version of art is always just making things from life as it's happening as my way of coping, which I think is art for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, yeah, I agree with that for me. And it's been really interesting to like, look at the pieces of, of me trying to figure out what it is and then rearrange them into like something that could be as linear as a book. And so even now, as I lose my shit, because I'm not a New Yorker anymore, so who am I um, to, like, have that breadcrumb trail of, like, here's who I was and how I felt. Is there a song of yours that is like that for you? It's like a breadcrumb trail back to who you are at your core or how you know you feel, like, in your most clear self? I don't know why, but I would say if I had to pick just one one song that was the most me, it would be all you wanted. And it's one that I still relate to as a 38 year old. It's, it's something I never tire of. I think if I, you know, had to pick one song, like this is who I am. It would be that. There's something about it. I, I, nobody cares my opinion, but I have always liked, <laughs> I've always, liked, I I've always liked all you wanted. Um, the most of those the singles from from that era and goodbye to you was actually the hook like i found your music from the goodbye to you um the making of the video on mtv oh yeah and that i i first saw that um because we didn't have i didn't have mtv in canada and i saw that probably my first week after we moved to the u.s and i had no friends and we had no home we were like living in my grandma's house and i saw that and i was like Goodbye to everything that I knew. Oh my God. <laughs> and, and that's when <laughs> your, your music became like really a lifeline for me because I was like, this is someone who's just saying the thing in such like simple language that I can grasp, you know, like some of the metaphors are, are, they're just right there, which is my favorite kind. <laughs> Cause I'm, you know, I'm dumb. I just, just tell, just tell me what it is. And, uh, I, I always, I love that. But, but all you wanted is like when I, when I am going to like listen to a song from that time and I'm going to just pick one, it's, it's going to be like the unplugged version of all you wanted. I love it. I thought, I thought you were going to say you discovered goodbye to you on Buffy because so many people relate that song to Buffy version. And this is, this sounds so funny. So my, my guitar player in my first touring band, his name was Jesse. He knew Joss Whedon, and so my Buffy invite came from Jesse, and he asked that we re-record it, and we were on tour. We actually were in Nashville, of all places, and we stopped, and we re-recorded a version of Goodbye to You for Buffy, and I get asked constantly to like be on Buffy podcasts and stuff. I've never watched Buffy. Oh, man. I have never like We're gonna have to I edit this started. out. <laughs> no, 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 no. This has a good ending. So my daughter's never seen it either, so we just decided that we're gonna start Buffy from the beginning because I've seen episodes here and there, but I, I don't know what's going on. And it's 
like I get told often how that song and that moment in the show was so emotional. I'm like, I watched that episode, but I didn't know what was going on. Um, but in redoing the spirit room, so many people are asking for the Buffy version of goodbye to you. And I don't even know what it is. <laughs> I have to go look it up to find it. And I'm like, maybe I call Jesse. Maybe he has a copy of it. Like, I know we have a copy of the Buffy version of everywhere some or of goodbye to you somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. I have to figure this I, out. I was very into Buffy on like season one. And then I just, I like at the time it was airing and then I don't know what happened. So I, I think I've seen the clip of the Goodbye to You version like once, yeah. probably 15 years ago. And me too. I'm in the same boat. Yeah. But I, I was a charm. I was a charmed fan. I was like, I wanted to be the fourth charmed sister really is what it was. And then you manifested. So it. I was too busy watching that. Yeah. Uh, but anyway. Okay. I, I, I have wanted to ask you this question for so long and I, I never want to like, dig up something something uncomfortable or bad but I think for a, a lot of people you know their art making process it's you know it would be the dream to have a life of art it would be the dream to to have a success and then be given the space and time to just make art and do their thing and in your case you you've had a life of art but there's been so long when other people controlled it or controlled the release and so you're making all this work and you're doing all you know you're growing as an artist and you know music has leaked online so we know that it was it was good and represented the journey that you were on and what is it like when someone is basically like saying like this isn't you and we're not releasing it but we still own you so you can't release it but go make more like yeah how does that feel it is really hard to go through um i mean there were definitely times where i'm like i don't want to make music anymore if this is like what i have to go through but we all know that's a lie because I can't just stop making music because even if I... I mean, you're an artist. Like, you'll be this person until you die. Yeah. Like, this is... Um, yeah. So there's just... I know deep down that that's not a true statement. But it's weird because the thing that held held a few albums up the most was my past success. You know, an executive somewhere knowing I was capable of this. But what I turned in in their mind was maybe only this and you know just being too greedy and thinking oh well what if we what if we find like a song or someone else has written a song or you go write with someone else or we find the right producer and suddenly it goes from here to here and then we can sell millions of records again and that's what I found myself in was like me saying hey you guys this is what I've turned in and I'm cool with it being what it is and I'm cool if it doesn't sell millions of albums I just want it out so I can move on with my life. Um, but, you know, I'm in the music business. And so it, I was literally told, like, oh, no, like, I can't remember the exact phrase I was told by one of the old heads of Warner Brothers. But they basically were like, it was right when Katy Perry was, like, really, really killing it. And they were like, you're capable of selling the same amount of albums as Katy Perry. You just need to go, like, right. Katy Perry songs and I was like I don't want to write Katy Perry songs Katy Perry's doing Katy Perry I don't I'm gonna do me like let me just do my thing it's really makes you second guess if you're even good because you're sitting there going okay well here I am and I keep turning in the work and nothing's getting released and I'm the only common thread in this 
everything I, you know, it all comes back to me. So maybe, maybe I'm not good. Maybe it was just the fluke that I sold, you know, that my first records were successful or whatever. So, um, but then part of you wants to just like prove, prove it to them more. So then you like, you agree to stuff and then you like end up hating it. It's been a long journey, but, um, I, I really do finally feel like I, uh, when I met my husband, Patrick, and he produced my album, Hopeless Romantic, he was like the exact therapist I needed to kind of sort through all of these feelings I was having about finally getting an album release. Um, and also hearing from someone else who's an artist to have him like sit down and listen to records that weren't released and hear what I went through. He was blown away that I was put in that position. Um, and he said before, he's like, you know, I don't know if that would have happened to us because he's like, I don't know if it's cause we're men or cause we're just a different band. And he's like, but no one would have ever done this kind of stuff to us. And it just wouldn't have happened. Um, so he has probably a whole other like opinion on it, but, um, uh, what am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is that when I recorded Hopeless Romantic, he was like, you know, this isn't going to be as successful as your first record. And I was like, I know. And he's like, no, but do you really know? Like there could be like a fluke and it could, you know, hit, but the odds of it happening are not in your favor. And I was like really pissed off and he would say that to me. And then, but I was like, yeah, you're right. And I have to like come to terms with, with it. Um, because I think part of me wanted to like prove myself to executives who had told me no in the past, but he's like the biggest, he's like, what you need to just do is be able to just make records the way you want them to be made and release them. That's all you really want. And I was like, yeah, you're right. That That is what I want. Yeah. So when the, when the expectations of having an album be successful by, you know, industry standards or not, when that was taken off of the table, I felt an immense sense of relief. Like, oh, I don't have to like strive for that. Yeah. I, as a fan, like when Hopeless Romantic, when I first heard Hopeless Romantic, I was so happy and grateful that, that it wasn't an attempt to like capture the spirit room. Cause it had been, it was like 15 years later and there was like, we've all grown up with you. And I, I felt like, you know, as a fan, also someone who, who knows that you're not that person anymore. I was really like just full of gratitude for an album that reflected more of like where I was at as a person, where we were all, you know, we're just older. Um, and I was, I was so happy for you. Cause I was like, I know this is what she likes. And, you know, you do have artists that, that try to capture that same thing over and over and over. And I don't want to use the word sad. Like, I don't think it's necessarily sad. Some people are just trying to like be a mood and they're going to be that mood for you. And, you know, maybe that's their calling, but, but as an artist, I was like, yeah, Michelle's like doing her thing. And I've been listening to, the new new record since you sent it to me can you share any details um i'll play a song called when that somebody is you and i might mess up but who knows all right
I only mess up a little bit, but no one will know until the record comes out. <laughs> okay, so we just heard When That Somebody Is You, which is such a beautiful song. And can you share any details about that process, like what it has meant to you? When can we hear it? So the record is supposed to come out. The original thought was that it was going to come out in April of 2022. Um I would say realistically summer of 2022 because we haven't done any of the artwork. Um, the album is finished and mixed and mastered. And ironically, I'm back on Warner Brothers um, through Nunsuch Records. They are signing me. And the only holdup is that literally I'm I'm five months pregnant and I don't want to do pictures for the record. And everyone's like, you can do pictures for the album. I'm like, no, I do not want to do any photo shoots while I'm pregnant. And I was like, can't we just do an album cover that doesn't have my face on it? And you would be surprised how resistant to that idea everybody is. I'm like, I, 
everyone knows what I look like. I don't need my face on the album. Let's just turn in artwork without my face. It's like the most bizarre concept for anyone to wrap their head around. So maybe I'll get my way. (laughs) That feels like pure sexism. Like I. Right. Patrick was like, that's bullshit. You should be able to release this record regardless of whether a picture of you is on it or not. So to be continued. Cool art. Oh. And the album the album is like so that mood. Like it 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 could just have like a cool art. There are so I many agree. There's so many good songs on it. I love I'm a man. Thank you. It's so like here is it's very much like here it is. And I can't wait for that song to be out. It's gonna mean a lot Thank to you. a lot of people. Thank you. I um so I made it here at our home studio where I am right now um, during lockdown and I didn't even realize I was making a record until it was Patrick and I were just working to just kind of keep our minds off of the pandemic and also you know we have we were locked down at our house with a teenager and a toddler so we were like, um, mama, mama and dad here are going to go work for a little bit. Just to like have some adult time away from you guys. Um, so we, we made the record, uh, without like, I didn't realize I, I, the goal wasn't to go make a record. And then at some point just something clicked. And all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, there's 10 songs here and they're all feeling kind of like they're cohesive and they're looking like they're going to be finished. Like, is this an album? Um, and it's one of the first times that I've sent probably the spirit room that I've written basically solely by myself again, um, which was, I think, very therapeutic for me to realize that I didn't have to have like writing sessions with a million writers in town and whoever in order to actually have a song to show for at the end of the day. Cause I think I started really relying on, um, having co-writers. I, the way I write is I, I always, always hear melody first and I'll kind of mumble lyrics myself. But, um, for instance, there's a writer named Amy Cooney, who's a dear friend of mine, um, who wrote a lot on hopeless romantic with me. And she's an amazing lyricist. Like she would come to sessions with just like books of lyrics. And I would be like, oh my God, where have you been all my life? Like you make my job so easy. And we would hone through the lyrics that way. And so then when it came time to write on my own, I I always kind of got stuck at the lyrics and I would never push myself to finish stuff. Um, Because I just started thinking like, oh, well, I'm not really that great at lyrics. <laughs> and so this really... uh Finish, finishing songs, actually forcing myself to, to write and finish songs, um, knowing that I didn't have the option of writing with anyone else, it gave me a little bit of that confidence back. Yeah. So it was really, I mean, I'm excited for people to hear it. It's, it, unfortunately, you know, this with artwork, like it already is starting to feel old to me <laughs> because I've been, yeah, of course, I've been living with it for so You're long. You're on to the next one. Um, that it's weird that, you know, it's been mixed and mastered and finished basically for almost a year now, I think. Um, so the fact that I have to like wait any longer is starting to drive me nuts. I hope it gets, I hope it gets to be released in the summer because if it doesn't, I'm going <laughs> to lose my mind. Um, I could continue asking you like a 
billion questions about career and specifics and all that stuff, but um, we're going to run out of time. So I am going to ask you two more questions. Um, (laughs) What's, what's a piece of advice you would give to someone, anyone um, who has no idea what's next, like really is living their life, but just doesn't know where to go or, or how to deal with what uncertain, the uncertainty of what might be coming. That's a good question. Um, I, I'm a very, um, I feel like I'm a very go with the flow kind of optimistic person. And maybe that's not a great trait to always have. Um, but I, I found like in times when I've been really freaked out about like what the future held or what it looked like that I, I always had this sense, like, I know I'm going to land on my feet somehow. I know I'm going to figure it out, but I just can't worry about that right now. Like, I have to just focus on what's in front of me, like, one day at a time, try to be in the moment as much as possible, um, and, and follow your, follow your joy. Do what makes you happy. My dad, my dad is so cool, and, um, I don't know if you met him at, the wedding or not but I did he is cool (laughs) he used to tell my siblings and I like life is too short to do something that makes miserable like if you have to go show up at a job every day like do something you like otherwise it's gonna be really really hard and I think you know that sounds really easy for me to say from my being in my position being in my shoes but I, I think that really is true Um, for life, I think that has been something that has, um, saved, saved me many times is knowing like at the end of the day that like, I love what I'm doing. Um, yeah, I feel like I was going to say one other thing. Um, but I I don't know, just try be present in the moment. One, like one foot in front of the other. And this, this is such a cheesy kind of thing to relate it to, but like I've always told myself, don't get overwhelmed with the details of the future. My sister gets really easily overwhelmed by like the what if of the future. And I'm always like, no, 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 that's not an issue right now. (laughs) Just think about today. What are you going to do today? Right. Like you are here for now, Nick. I'm going to, I'll send her the book. I'll be like, here you go. This is a, a gift from Michelle. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's just it. It's, you know, every time that you, you offer some advice like that and, and then say like, no, no, that's corny. That's corny. It's like being alive is, is actually so corny. You know what I mean? Like, like almost <laughs> all of the good things about being alive are corny. And at a certain point, I, I hope that that corniness subsides and you stop. Like, I hope that we all can stop thinking that way and just be like, no, it's not corny. Like, I'm just actually happy. And something that I've been experiencing recently is like, I'll go outside and the weather is beautiful. And there's like, you know, the neighbor's chicken is clucking. And I'm just like, am I in a Zoloft commercial? Like, what is, why am I so happy? And it's like, no, you're allowed. Yeah. It's okay. Um, so I have one more question I meant to ask you. Oh, yeah. I wanted to ask you what it's like having having a a balance of art and life with a husband who is also an artist and a musician and so passionate about, (laughs) about work and you have a home studio. Like how do you and 
how do you and Patrick find the balance between art, work, and life? We're, it gets a little fiery in our house sometimes because I'm used to like, in my marriage with my ex-husband, like I, I was used to being the one in charge and Patrick is very much used to being the one in charge. And so he and I sometimes, I'm like, no, I'm working this week. You forgot. I told you like two months ago, I'm in the studio this week. And he's like, well, I have this project where I'm, I'm working today. And it's just like, ah, but, um, but it is funny because sometimes I'm like, wow, I'm just a stay at home mom. And my husband's going off to work doing the thing I used to do. Um, so I have moments of, okay, you go on to work. Um, but for the most part, it's literally like, um, finding someone who speaks the same language as you. That's what I felt like when I'm, when I met Patrick was that all of a sudden someone knew exactly how I felt, knew exactly what I was thinking, knew, could understand and be empathetic to my history and to what I wanted. It was, it literally just feels like I've met someone who speaks the same weird language I do. Um, and it's sometimes logistically with children a nightmare to figure out, like, I'm like, I'm going on tour next year. And he's like, well, I'm going on tour next year. I'm like, who's going to watch our children? But I love it because at the end of the day, like we both geek out on the same stuff. It feels like you found exactly the person that you were like dreaming up in the spirit room. Like you found that magical, like perfect thing. I did. And it's very funny because we like, we go back through and we've been in so many of the same cities at the same time or at the same events over the years. And we're just like, how did we not meet before? Like, this is so weird. Like we were like two blocks from each other that whole time. It felt like, um, but you know, everything happens for a reason. So. Oh, so I'm so glad I asked. I love that answer. I love it. I just love love. And Patrick is, is so cool and weird. And I love that um, y'all butt heads. Because you kind of need that. I think it's weird <laughs> in a relationship when one person's just like, yes, dear. Yeah. Mitchell and I, we argue all the time. And God, it would be so boring if we yeah, did it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. We definitely butt heads. But it's funny because like two seconds later, you wouldn't ever even know. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. It's like <laughs> on to the next. I mean, that's what it's like when someone when someone gets you. You get like, me. When someone just yeah. fully gets you. I had to do it. Um, okay. My actual last question. I've always wanted to ask you this. Um, so Michelle, you are everywhere. (laughs) No answer required. I just wanted to. I thought, I thought you were going to say, are you happy now? That's when I get a lot too. (laughs) I'll I'll save that for the next re-recorded album. Um, I love, I actually, I love that song. Do you know what I found when I was moving? I, I'm not going to go get it. I found that issue of Maxim magazine that I purchased as a teen. And I think, I think my mom thought that I was like straight for Michelle Branch and she was probably so happy. <laughs> and I was just like, she found my like Maxim magazine. She was like, okay. She's like, wow, hmm, this is a new development, Adam. <laughs> I, I do remember. No, well, I was, I was still very like closeted, not really. And I remember there was Are You Happy Now? The Naked Remix, which is what it was called. And my mom was like, what is this? And I was like, 
That's hilarious. God, we could do a whole podcast episode just about the Michelle Branch message boards and like early internet communities and all that shit. And, and you know, my first corporate gig was for Warner Nashville because I like complained that you're, did I never tell you this? No. I sent the Wreckers MySpace page was really not cute. And I sent a message or I left a comment and I was like, <laughs> I think I literally wrote like, how dare you? Like, this is Michelle Branch. Like, do you know who this is? And I got a message from Cassie Petrie, who was like, okay, then you do it. And I was like, okay. And I did it. And I love And then she continued to hire me. I did, I did like Faith Hill. I did Tyler Hilton. Like I did all these recording artists for like a hundred dollars a pop, which as a 16 year old was so much money. And yeah, then I studied graphic design. So thank you. That's so cool. I can't believe you never told me that before. It's mortifying, but like, you know, this is already kind of mortifying. <laughs> I mean, everything's corny. It just is. All right. We better go. And yeah. Thanks again. This is awesome. Thank you. Tell Mitchell hi. See you. I will. Bye. You've been listening to You Are Here For Now, the podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And pick up a copy of my book, You Are Here For Now, for yourself or someone you love at your favorite bookstore or adamjk.com. Until next time, be kind to yourself and remember, you are here, but you're not alone.